everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are commemorating the final month of this summer. Summer 2022, what a ride. Last summer we were thinking, can movies survive to summer 2021? And here we are in 2022, asking literally the exact same question. Can movies survive? Yes, yeah. I was wondering where you're going with that. (laughs) So that's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be doing uh, not an in-depth review like you're used to. We're actually going to be doing a series of short little mini discussions covering a few of the biggest movies from this past month. Uh, The the three we'll highlight are Prey, Bullet Train, and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But we're also going to do a little round-robin discussion at the end where we kind of go through uh, a few of the other films that we've seen in kind of rapid-fire form. We're going to start by diving into each of those three movies that I just mentioned, and then we'll close out the conversation by maybe teasing what movie we're looking forward to this fall, movie or movies. And I'm so thankful. We've got a great group today uh, just to talk about what I think maybe light on the theatrical side, but I think was actually a pretty stellar month of movies in terms of just like the the stories they're putting out there, even if they weren't all blockbusters. So joining me today, of course, uh, recurring guest host, LaRon Chapman, award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker. Sir, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. It's like a cinematic buffet, if you will. Exactly. (laughs) We did one of these in November, so I thought it, and it seemed to go pretty well. So I I thought it might be worth trying again uh, this summer. For sure. And also uh, rejoining us today is uh, an Oklahoma filmmaker here. He actually has worked on a number of different films. He's a member of the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle as well. Charles Elmore. Charles, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to get to join you guys. And I, of course, love talking about all this. So I'm, I'm here for it and excited. Thank you for having me. Oh, always a pleasure. And uh, again, Charles, just love seeing, uh, again, I know we're going to talk socials down the road, but I love uh, your Instagram game and just all the things you're sharing from either different sites you're seeing as a DP or uh, just different film sets you're working on. So uh, again, pleasure uh, speaking with you and thanks for taking the time out of your day. Absolutely. And last, but certainly not least, we have returning guest host from Good Trash Media and the co-host of the Good Trash Genre cast, Dalton Stewart. Dalton, welcome back, sir. Hey, buddy. Good to see you. It's been a good month for movies, Dalton. It has. It has. It's sort of uh, a harbinger of bad times to come, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) This is the first time in 15 years, uh, apparently, where we're slated to not have a movie uh, expected to open at 25 north of 25 million Mm dollars. Uh, not until Halloween ends comes out in October. So uh, it's good that August uh, went hard because it does seem like we're in for uh, a bit of a drought. It is going to be the drought, uh, hopefully not to end all droughts, but it's it's looking pretty light, even for promising film, artistically speaking, films that look potentially promising. Sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's a couple are, of things I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of uh, butts and seats, it's, yeah. it's looking pretty, pretty dis- rough. <laughs> pretty dismal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get to today's uh, discussion, I just wanted to quickly note listeners that if you are listening to the show for the first time and you enjoy our conversation, please support us by subscribing to the show and leaving us a rating or review on your preferred podcast app. This is, of course, most relevant on Spotify, where you, we can now leave ratings or on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us not only a rating uh, in the app, but you can also write us a short blurb in the form of a review and say, cinematic schematics, great, or cinematic schematics, trash, uh, or Caleb is not nearly as good as LeRon. Whatever you want to put <laughs> in the review is totally fine, because if you put that in there, it's going to help us get discovered by more listeners like you. Uh, so, gentlemen, we have a lot of grounds to cover, so let's just go ahead and jump right into the first film at hand today, which is Prey. There's something out there. I'm coming with you. You can't. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? It's time. 
So according to IMDb, Prey is described as the origin story of the Predator and the world of the Comanche Nation 300 years ago. Nadu, a skilled warrior, fights to protect her tribe against one of the first highly evolved Predators to land on Earth. This film was released exclusively on Hulu on August 5th. And I just want to get go around the table here just to get some quick thoughts on what, what we thought or liked or didn't like about the film. So Laurent, kick us off here. Uh, yeah, Prey was kind of a... Pleasant surprise for me, and in some ways it shouldn't be because, I mean, given that it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg and I've, I've liked his previous work, um, but given the string of like lackluster sequels that we've had over the last 30 years, I haven't been presently watching those movies for 30 years because I'm in my 30s, but um, save for Predators, I'd say as being like, you know, a B-level one that I did have some fun with, even if it's not perfect. Predators it, is pretty cool. I was going to yeah, yeah, I'm glad you shouted it out. Yeah, two things. One, just to clarify for listeners, because there's a lot of confusion about the naming. Predators was the one that was 2010, mm. 2011, 2010. starring Adrian was Brody. It Shane and it was Black one? No, 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 Shane Black one's 2018. No, that was Nimrod Antle. Yeah, yeah, Nimrod is the did uh, the 2010 Predators. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's uh, basically drop a bunch of killers into an arena to be cool hunted concept. by Predator. Yeah, cool yeah, concept. yeah. Um, you know, but that being said, I am surprised how well done Prey is, considering it. Like at this point in time, we don't necessarily need this movie. Um, so that it was so successful, um, you know, on screen um, was you know surprising for me. So yeah, all right, pretty positive. So we've got one thumbs up, Dalton Stewart. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm a big it's a it's a damn shame that this didn't go to theaters. Uh Trachtenberg and Co. uh didn't have to go this hard and they sure did. Uh, Talking about butts and seats, this could have done it, I think could have been. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, this would have done great. I now there is the possibility that this actually got seen by more folks on opening weekend because mm -hmm. it opened on streaming. So mm -hmm. there's that yeah. to consider. But I, yeah, I think this could have got asses and seats. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I, I haven't watched uh, 1987's Predator uh, from John McTiernan in a while. Uh, I am very curious to revisit it post watching Prey, though, because it is such a lean and mean uh, creature feature. Uh, mm -hmm. Very much harkening back to that original, I think. Uh, as much as I had fun with Predators as well, uh, Laurent, I think I think you're right. Pretty much all of the sequels uh, to this film kind of struggle to to capture what was so special about that first one, and I, I think they get bogged down in mythology and lore mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think Prey very smartly sidesteps that and doesn't really care if you've seen a Predator movie. Uh, it's cool if you have, but Prey Prey is just there to give you a good time, and uh, yeah. I think they very much succeeded. Absolutely. All right, so two pros. Uh, Charles Elmore, what did you think of Prey? Yeah, I'm I'm solidly the third pro in this in this consensus. Like I was I was greatly surprised. Like Laurent said, it shouldn't have been. Like I am I, maybe it's a sign of my age or the sign of my my upbringing, but I'm always iffy on every new class of filmmakers until I feel like they've really gotten their footing and figured out kind of their voice and contribution in this, this, this medium. And so Trachtenberg's always been somebody that I've been hesitantly excited about, especially 10 Cloverfield Lane being such a great execution of both the Abrams verse without sort of the, you know, the, the glut and dearth of the, the Abrams verse while also still kind of putting something new in that. And of course, you know, what better hands to kind of take on a property like the predator series and inject it with this whole new aspect of a way of kind of telling that 
age old story. Like, I think what's great about Prey is that it doesn't need to kind of remind you what the logic and the sort of mechanics of the predator world is. Luckily, we've gotten to a point where we can agree on the short, we all know the shorthand to a great extent, especially if we're fans of this genre of what the predator world is. And so they don't have to give you the 30 minute reminder. They don't have to tell you like, oh, all of this sort of prep setup about how they're changing it while also adding more muscles to it, as it were. And with Prey, they did such a great job of allowing a focus on a different type of story and different people and community and and uh, way of life and how something like The Predator can be a really great metaphor and allegory to explore some historical stuff while still keeping it in, in consistency with the genre that made Predator itself such a like landmark sci-fi film. And, you know, this thing that gets brought back to the well every five to 20 years, so long as, you know, Disney or Fox or whoever owns it keeps ownership of the property. And Trachtenberg and his writers, and especially the Native and Indigenous community that they brought into being part of this story, um, they really made sure that, you know, it wasn't just a bunch of cheap kills and a bunch of like, you know, how do we kill a kid inside a car just to make it extreme and, and aggressive? Like, Every part of this film felt felt very thought out, both with how it's being couched in the universe and era of the story, while also like making sure the Predator fans feel satisfied, even though I guess there were some things that didn't satisfy them because, you know, apparently only people who kill Predators are men with big muscles. So... It's almost, that being it's, said. almost <laughs> it's almost like they missed the point of the original movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look, yeah. I, I think it's as close to a Predator movie as, you know, Predator 2, you know, like, if, if it's just, you know, let's just keep changing times and, and see how human, the humanity deals with this, like, whether it's LA of the future or Nicaragua of the 80s or, you know, <laughs> fucking Kiowa Comanche world of, of, of pre-colonialism, you know. I'm here for it as long as it's got the same ethos and not, you know, how do we keep adding more for the sake of like, in, 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 you know, injecting more kills or, or whatever. So I'm a huge fan of it. I, of course, as a filmmaker, probably have a few technical com com complaints about it, but I won't divulge into that if you don't need to. So what did you think, Caleb? Were you able to catch it? In yeah, I uh, watched feeling? it. I watched it twice. I watched, uh, firstly, uh, they originally released it and it looked stunning. Um, I noticed that so so I watched it the first time in English uh, as it was you know released and marketed to me, uh, and then I was like, ah oh, man, maybe I'll get around to the Comanche version again later, uh, just because it's really cool. So for listeners, not only is this film in English, they actually have a, a Comanche dub um, that they put a, a crazy amount of attention to detail in. Um, and it's very, very impressive. Also, there were folks here in Oklahoma who helped consult on on that piece. In fact, mm -hmm. I, I think I heard that they recorded some of that here in Oklahoma. Um, uh, you can actually hear more about that in the interview I did with the producer, Jay Meyer, and then uh, Sunrise Tipiconi, who is a consultant on the film. But they really – they didn't you know, just slap a, a few little native – tropes on here and said, Hey, look at the representation. They, they brought in the community and they said, we want to make sure we represent these people really well and authentically mm -hmm. while also kind of creating a really awesome predator film. I, and here's the thing I would say at the end of the day, this is probably my first, uh, my favorite since the original, mostly because I think it cuts to the core of what makes predator so great. Uh, mm -hmm. Dalton, you mentioned like it doesn't get bogged down in mythology, which is a plus. It's just a simple story. And the whole point of predator 
is that these guys have this advanced weapons and they're all like bolts up, you know, the best killers in the world and they can't track this thing down because of their arrogance and ego and they just think it's going to be an easy job. I mean, and, and the, only, the only time like Arnold only gets a leg up when he starts to think through things differently. So I actually thought it was a really great uh, way to sort of bring that back to saying, hey, this Comanche woman who is already, you know, she has something to prove both to herself and to her people in the film. The Predator is just the vehicle to help her, you know, accomplish that. Um, I thought that was really clever, calling back to the original. I also, again, going a layer deeper, this idea that uh, loosely, this is me reading into it a little bit, the idea that the imperialist undertones here, because we mm. do have, sure. uh, mm -hmm. you know, the the, the French, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, poachers. French trappers. trappers. Mm -hmm. They're out there. And uh, interesting, in the interview with, with Jane, she's like, yeah, there are multiple predators in the film. You know, it's yeah. not it's not just the uh, aliens who are coming from a different planet, but also the people who are invading their land. Well, there's that incredible uh, little brief vignette we get, right, of, of this, the circle of life uh, unfolding around the predator, mm -hmm. right, as he kills the, the snake, kills the, the field mouse or whatever, and he kills the snake. Uh, is constantly alluding to, to predation and power and all, all sorts mm -hmm. of interesting stuff. Yeah, and so I, I think that's, I get just to sum it up, I love that there's a lot to read into if you want to, but also you don't have to. There's yeah. just a great, solid, well-put-together action movie from Dan Trachtenberg. I've been watching him ever since he was, he made the little Portal YouTube oh. video, I gosh, what, a decade ago at least. Um, and he obviously, Tin Cloverfield Lane was excellent. I love the Boys uh, series premiere, which he also directed, so I'm a big fan of him. Overall, just a, a tremendous film. Overall, I think it's a huge success i wish it had been on the big screen but uh alas um i'm still glad we got it nonetheless it, but yeah. if you know big screen release we don't get the comanche dub exactly and honestly that's the way to watch the movie uh yes I, i've also seen both versions caleb and i i think that there's something really special about that comanche dub we know originally trachtenberg pitched the whole movie to yeah. just being comanche like yeah. there wasn't a dub uh and he had to they had to fight for all sounds like they had to fight quite a bit for all the authenticity. So the compromise was, okay, we'll release an English version, but then we, you got to give us the budget to do a really high quality dub. Um, and uh, so, yeah, tremendous film. Um, so just really quickly, I mean, how would you say this? I, I already, I've already kind of showed my cards. I think this is on par with the original. I don't know if it's going to be quite classic iconic because you know, this, that film established the franchise, but I think this is every bit as good as the original. Uh, Dalton, how would you kind of stack this up against the other films? I mean, it's easily the second best Predator movie, like by a wide margin. Is it as good as the original? Yeah, probably. Uh, is it better than the original? I don't know. I haven't watched the original in a few years. I, I, I have to revisit. The original is one of my favorite hundred films, so I, I would have to, to go look. But I like Prey quite quite a bit. So I, I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's very strong, definitely stacks up with the original. And I, I think you made a very good point of, uh, you know, the ways in which it both like embraces and inverts, the, the ways it... it echoes the original, right? Like there, there's, there's times where it directly alludes to it. But as you said, like Naru's motivations are different than Arnie's motivations. Mm -hmm. She's actively hunting. She's not just trying to survive. She wants to kill this thing. Yes. So it's, it's kind of a different, uh, ball game, which I, I think just adds to, uh, the interest here for me. Yeah. I think this is, as you said, a tremendous film. Awesome. Charles, uh, how would you stack this up against the other predator films? I mean, I would stack it right up next to predator. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of trying to say, is this a continuation of the bar that was set, especially when we're in this era of sort of continuation, continuing these long gap uh, IPs and, and lores and extended universes, I guess, is how we're de defining them now. Multiverses, as it were. Um, but I mean, 
it is an astonishing work of the, 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 the storytelling basis and it's way better executed than any of the other iterations. Like I have a soft spot for predator too, because you know, opening that plastic clamshell every Friday because it was part of the VHS rental was just that spot for me, but mm-hmm. it's be- as good as the original McTiernan version. And it's, I think as equally important for how it, sets the genre in a, in a new space to sort of continue exploring that aspect of it while also giving, you know, the kind of exposure that it's, that it's doing. Like it's such a good, good film. And and I really love what it's doing for more than just sci-fi genre fans of this, mm-hmm. this movie. So it's up there, if not higher. All right. LeBron, bring us home. How does it rank uh, compared to the other Predator films? What I love is it just doesn't it doesn't waste any time. It's a very lean film, um, and there's something mm-hmm. really refreshing about seeing a movie that knows what it is and leans into what it is and succeeds at what it's trying to do. Um, and so, yes, I think it easily is stacked at least at second. Um, you know, and in, in some ways, and I have revisited Predator, Predator in preparation for Prey. Um, I, in some ways, it does surpass it, but that's that's just because of where we are now with technology, what we are with, with special effects and what have you. But um, but as far as you know, I, I realize with Predator too, when we're rewatching it, is like it actually doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the mythology and what have you. And I was like, I was surprised how we just kind of go right into the jungle and the action just starts. And I think that's why this one works because it returns back to that back to the basics kind of vibe to it. And with the um, introduction of the you know, the indigenous people, the indigenous storytelling just adds another layer of, of urgency to it. I think that, um, that maybe wasn't present in the, in the original, but it, it's enjoyed in, in much of the same ways that the original was. So, um, but easily second place for it, um, for that. All right. Yeah. Well, well said. just, go ahead. Just, you can cut this out if you want to, but look, to piggyback on the Ron about the, the, the indigenous thing and the metaphor about you, what you were talking, Caleb, Predator itself was an allegory for Vietnam and America and the CIA's role within Vietnam, right? And everyone sort of unpacked how great McTiernan and the writers were at sort of couching all of that within the sci-fi. Just like we've talked about Prey, like there is so much about just the messaging of colonialism, uh, the resource genocide that happened with uh, the arrival of Columbus and that era. And like you're talking about, Nauru is always surviving. This is a story about survival, just like the language, just like the people. And that itself is as much a metaphor as, you know, Arnold being the capital US of A, saving, you know, the rest of the world from, you know, Vietnam and the threat of, you know, uh, communism. So mm-hmm. that's what's really beautiful about it. And I think we've all kind of landed on the same page. <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I that's great. I mean, I know it's not it's it's fun when we all agree. Sure, disagreements here and there can make for good radio, but also it's just great to celebrate that this is an amazing film that it got made. Wish it was in theaters, but also the fact that it's even on Hulu with this sort of attention to detail is great. Um just before we give letter grades real quick, uh, was there anything else you guys wanted to add uh, about uh Prey specifically? Uh I want to talk about Amber Midthunder. Uh, mm-hmm. Who gives? I mean, words Ar- right out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, Ar- Arnie give gave one of the, like the great action performances in '87, and I think Amber Midthunder like is so compelling, so captivating as as an action lead in this film. Uh, just uh, everything she does is great. Uh, she she's totally dialed in, uh, gets this character, uh, and, and it's so great. And I, I think I, I'm impressed by Trachtenberg's savvy in pitching this film because he. He came up with the idea of doing a film about a, a young Comanche woman who wants to be a hunter and then came to the idea of, well, she should hunt the predator, right. obviously. And like, I just think that's so cool that he like very logically came to, 
being a kid who grew up on Predator, like many of us are, uh, I said, well, I should just make a Predator movie and pitch that. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's refreshing to see a talented young filmmaker go pitch a studio as opposed to a studio gobble up a promising young filmmaker. You know, yeah. it's, it's a different thing, uh, to me. Yes. I know it still ends up with a promising talent working on an IP feature, but at the same time, I think there's something a little bit more interesting going on. So again, I just, uh, very excited by Trachtenberg and mid thunder, uh, Actually, the whole and really the whole cast. Uh, Dakota Beavers, who plays her brother, uh, is also like he really was working impressive. at a TJ Maxx yeah. before he got this job. By the way, yeah, and he's and I had like when I watched him, I'd never seen this he's movie star, but I was like, this guy's great. He's a movie yeah. star. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's ridiculously hot. Yeah, he's a movie star. Yes, yeah, please. this is a good movie. Yeah, uh, the, the, but that, that was the the only things that I could think of that I wanted to make sure we shouted out. Yeah, I, I think um, to your point there, not only did this did Dan Trachtenberg pitch this movie and get it made. There was an entire Disney Fox acquisition that happened when this, you know, in the Mm -hmm. because he's been working on this like five plus years. So the fact that this movie didn't get killed in that acquisition still kind of blows my mind Uh, on top of everything else. um, The fact that he was able to pitch it and commit to it and keep pushing for it. And even when the odds looked against the movie getting made, he kept pushing to to have his vision realized. So Mm -hmm. great stuff. Uh, Laurent, anything else you want to add? I was going to say it's been nice seeing the responses, minus a few gripes um, uh, that uh, my, a lot of my native friends watching the film have have responded really positively to it. And seeing like that they had a strong female heroine that's not sidelined in favor of a serviceful a, A-list non-native actor, you know, and that's just great to see that, yes, the movie can be made without a star that we know, you know, and still be compelling and still have all those. And it's just kind of you know, takes away the myth that, you know, when you invest in minority characters being the leads in your film, they can still be successful, you know? So yeah, it was great to see that. Absolutely. It's a bit huge win for a native indigenous representation for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Charles, uh, bring us home here. Anything you want to add before we give out letter grades on the movie? No, I think, um, I agree with everyone's sentiments and, and yeah, I think it's just a really great accomplishment and, um, yeah, I love all of it. Very cool. So let's assign letter grades. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, that's like you do in school. You get an A, a B, a C, a D. For some reason, we skip B. I still don't understand it. And you go straight to F for failure. So um, and yes, pluses and minuses are allowed. So Laron Chapman, I'll start with you. What letter grade would you give? Pray. I'd give this an A minus for sure. A minus? A minus. All right. Dalton Stewart. I go all the way up to A for this one. Yeah, it's missing that. I and and I think it's the Comanche dub that puts it over for me. Yeah. Um, I rewatched a second time, and it it didn't hit quite as hard. Um, uh, watching the predator yeet a bear trap at a dude's head is really cool, <laughs> but it does lose a little bit of the sparkle the second time around. But watching that Comanche dub, like I think it really does add something special to this film, and and it adds a, a texture to it that's kind of hard to beat. Yep. So yeah, it's a it's a solid A for me. Solid A, A minus. And uh, Charles, how about you? Uh, I'm going to give it an A minus purely because of all the praise. I have a few technical complaints that unfortunately I can't watch movies without also judging and critiquing the form and formalism of it. And there was just a few technical issues that I wasn't really keen on and how they did it and executed it. There was some sound dippings and, you know, some choices on how, when to take sound away and bring sound in that I just felt were not necessarily uh, re- reflective of the tone and the sort of nature of the story itself, especially when they took the sounds of nature away from a place where you would hear nothing but nature and not, you know, weird ambient emotional sense, as it were. Um, but then also, so there's some technical camera work that I just was sort of off 
put by. There's some, mm -hmm. there's a, I feel like I'm noticing a trend in action cinematography where there's this sort of wiki and born hybrid where we sort of whip around and catch all these sort of great accomplishments of like throwing this and then kicking that and then slicing that. And we'll also talk about this in a couple other, in another movie down the road. But it's interesting. They use one that the same technique in this movie and a movie we'll talk about down the road in this podcast and how in the one we talk about, they actually do a much better version. It's almost like the, 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 the varsity class is getting to have their way at the equipment. And then in this case with prey, there was a few sort of camera works where it felt like they either ended up too far into the action where it felt odd and awkward how they were blocking it. And then also too wide on scenes that felt like you needed to be more in space and being on the technical side of filmmaking. I always wonder like what the choices were, you know, made at the time going into that and how they ultimately affect the edit and the final piece. And so I'm just, you know, noticing those things. And so to me, there were a few sort of technical aspects that just knocked it down to a, a minus. Um, but it does get the A because it is so exceptional in how it represents the Comanche culture, how it represents this, this moment that was so beautiful and earned and still needing to be happening, not just for the native community, but for more communities like the native and indigenous community. But finally, they finally get an opportunity to have the front row seat on these stories. And I think that's amazing. So it gets an A minus, um, but it's a big capital A for me. All right. Good deal. Um, I think I, you're so right to invoke uh, John Wick, Charles. This is definitely a post-Wick action film. By it, and it is absolutely like paying service to that franchise. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's it's showing that pretty boldly. I, I, don't, I don't think it's hiding behind that at all. No. But, uh, it's an interesting that it, it, it it's how impactful that franchise has been on action cinema. Oh, definitely. And, and I, that's a there really is another podcast there because just the way that action movies and action films have been filmed and evolved over the last since John Wick, frankly, has been interesting. And the reason I say that, Dalton, and I think we, you and I even talked about this in our episode for The Matrix, that movie is shot like a TV show, The Matrix uh, Revelation or not. Oh, my God. Resurrections. Resurrections. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like I, I kind of wonder, Charles, to your point, there are sometimes this year or was that last year? It was, it was, last, year. It was last year, but we okay. talked about it and it's. It's a conversation I've been having with a lot of filmmakers in particular, just like griping about how action movies are shot these days. Mm -hmm. I think John Wick, generally pretty good, but like there's a lot of other movies where you're like, why did they do it that way? Anyway, mm -hmm. that's a separate podcast for another day. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, there is definitely something there to consider. Well, speaking of John Wick's lineage, I, we got another movie to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, just to round it us out, I'm also going to land on an A myself. Um, so I'm not going to reiterate. What everyone said here, I think it's great. Uh, Dalton, I think the Comanche dub and then attention to detail is also what puts it from an A minus to an A for me. So highly recommend streaming now on Hulu. If you don't have Hulu, just subscribe for a month and watch it. It's like, what, six bucks, eight bucks? Mm -hmm. Not very expensive. You know, it's the same as you would pay to rent it. Or VOD. steal it. Disney will be fine. <laughs> At this point, yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? I, I have real. I have come around to piracy once again. Uh, thank you, HBO Max uh, and uh, Warner Discovery. Um, but yes, uh, let's Unless go ahead and move on. Unless the cast got points on the back end, in which case you should pay so that they can get in. That's a very good this, point. So. Great. You point. choose. That's you choose your point. own path. You're a human. You've got a moral <laughs> See the movie first. If you can, throw some dollars their way. But that yes. Uh, with all that said, though, yes, let's go ahead and move into uh, another movie that is much more John Wickian and its <laughs> nature, and that movie is Bullet Train. <laughs> Bullet 
talk to me. I am ready. You are getting the new and improved me. Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. So according to IMDb, Bullet Train is described as five assassins aboard a fast moving bullet train find out their missions have something in common. I'm just going to add one detail. That's a bullet train in Japan, IMDb. Gosh, I need they need to pay better writers for these IMDb synopses. I just got to say every time. Uh, I don't think they pay writers. Right. It's just it's always, writers, yeah. so hit or miss. Uh, I was uh, I was feeling pretty good. And then we got bullet train. Uh, so, Charles Elmore, I'm actually going to start with you on this. Uh, what did you think of bullet train? Well, I'm fresh off the train. I saw it last night. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's I liked it. It was very enjoyable. Um, it's probably about as good as it's going to be for the sort of iterative uh, waterfall of this type of movie that the wick kind of uh, rainfall has created. Uh, I guess the film, the director, David Leachy was one of the co-directors of the original John wick, right? Yeah. He's not and credited. Then they sort of it, broke but... off and um, yeah, I, I've been a bigger fan of his earlier work and this one is very good, but also it's very much seems like uh, uh, it's more of a display of a, of a, of an actor of a certain generation trying to find a bit of like their own, John Wick, uh, in this case, Brad Pitt very much seems like he's kind of wanting a, a bit of a, you know, it's, it feels like he kind of took a little bit of the therapy side of what he went through from like 2010 to 20 whatever during the divorce and, and, and controversy and maybe just decided to turn all this kind of self-help, self-affirming meme culture we're living in and turn it into a John Wick action movie. Um, and I really love it. I really like it because I'm a huge fan of Brad Pitt's very specific hand acting and grimace acting <laughs> and he's aging into such a wonderful concrete riddled face that i think it's this is a great role for him um i loved how sort of uh, updated it was on on, on a kind of agatha christie-esque kind of narrative and i think agatha christie will come up in a in another conversation because it's it feels very similar to a, a film uh down the road that we'll talk about later um but you know, this is very much like, you know, murder on the bullet train Orient Express. And but with <laughs> the the sort of Joe Carnahan smoking aces, yes. you know, John Wick style of storytelling. And that's the biggest film that I kept thinking about watching. This was smoking aces and how sort of just comic book graphic novel aggressive it is. And this feels like a live action manga version of a like an Agatha Christie kind of storytelling. And, and, and I thought it was mostly successful, if not, unfortunately, too long. So. That's my overall assessment um, for the moment. Generally positive with a few quips here and there. I think that's uh, fair. <laughs> Dalton Stewart, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Uh, I, I think uh, it's it's very, uh, very shrewd of Charles to invoke uh, sort of the the uh, Carnahan lineage here. Yeah, this reminded me a lot of Smoking Aces, and it appeals to the 16-year-old in me who saw Smoking Aces on opening weekend and then crashed his car talking about how cool Smoking Aces was. Uh, so, so at that level, this movie does appeal to me. Uh, I I think it's a very slight film, unfortunately. It's it's okay. It's I, I think absolutely it is showing Brad Chip's Brad Chip, Brad Pitt's movie star chops. There we go. I'd say that five times fast. Uh, I definitely it showcases him as a performer, and I, and I like what he's doing here. I think he's he's pretty funny in it, and the jokes land more often 
the knot. I think the cast is all really solid. I Brian Tyree Henry is great here. Yes. I love his whole Thomas Trank engine, uh, yeah. Thomas the Tank engine bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never liked Aaron Taylor Johnson more ever. Uh, uh, Hiroyuki Sonata always showing up, uh, always wonderful. just always a class act. Yeah. And I, that does kind of bring me to one of the things about this film is that's a pretty big failure. You know, we just spent a lot of time, uh, talking about prey and, uh, lavishing it praise upon it for the, it's uh, indigenous representation. And this film does unfortunately do the thing that most films, uh, made in America set in East Asia do, which is a race Asian face pretty much entirely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, Hiroyuki Sonata, Hiroyuki Sonata, and the kid, the actor who I, plays his son, whose name is escaping me at the moment. I've seen him in other stuff, though. They have some stuff to do. You know, they have plots. They are central to the story, so I'm not going to totally sell the film short. But it's definitely doing a thing we've seen other films do, and it's pretty disappointing. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's it's funny when it's supposed to be funny most of the time. Uh, I think the action looks okay, but uh, you know, it definitely does not have the the look of some of Leach's other stuff. It doesn't feel, have that visceral feel of Atomic Blonde or, or John Wick. Like, I don't think Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brad Pitt spent a lot of time doing jujitsu to prepare for this movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, the action looks okay, but it, it definitely leaves something to be desired. And uh, as, as Charles said, it's it's far too long. Yes. This movie does not need to be two hours. Uh, but you know exactly what kind of movie it is when Michael Shannon shows up. And that's that's sort of when this film reveals to you what it's been doing all along. And yeah, you're either into it or you're not. Yeah, I think that's I think that's well said. You're you're either into it or you're not. I've yeah, I'm just an old man now. I've seen a lot of <laughs> movies like this, and I've I've yeah, I've, I'm a little too jaded to fall for something like this. I think. Yeah, uh, that, that's fair. Uh, so, Laurent, the, the big question is: Were you were you on board or not? Yeah, did was you buy I a on ticket? Board? Did I buy a ticket? I was late, but um, <laughs> I, I made it just in time. Uh, no, I'm, I, I land somewhere between Charles uh, and Dalton. On this, um, I, I really like the cast. Uh, I like the characters. The dialogue is funny for the most part, and there's a few really nice action set pieces in here. Just a few for me, um, uh, and all of that worked pretty well for me for until about the last act. And I think that's probably what we're talking about here. Runtime here mm-hmm. really does bog it down at some point. This needed to be a lean. You know, hundred. I'd say I, I'd go as far as a hundred minutes. Yeah, I could go hundred. Hundred, hundred and five. Yeah. You know, like, but two hours we didn't need of this. And, um, and the last act for me just gets a little it, very disjointed and messy. Um, overall, I, again, I had a good time with this. If this was on TV at home and I it was in the middle of it, I'd sit down and watch it again. It wasn't. It doesn't doesn't offend me in any way. Um, but you know, coming into it with slightly higher expectations, I did fall with needing, you know, with a little wanting for sure after watching it. But so I, I think I'm a little closer on the positive side. I wasn't now I'll put it this way. When I walked out of the theater, I was like, it's all right. Yeah. Um, I, the, my complaint about the time has, has remained. I, I, and funny you mentioned the last act. I actually think the second act is where I would have trimmed some of the fat because Mm -hmm. there was a lot of excessive like plot twist that easily could have been excised just get to the get to the third act big action set piece um in which we reveal uh you know again michael shannon shows up and this is becomes a very clear what kind of movie you've been watching sort of thing which i loved um i am on board for the kind of movie i was watching maybe i think my expectations were a little higher and uh, i think i gave this a three-star letterbox review yeah today i give it a three and a half like i've warmed around to it totally would absolutely rewatch. 
Yeah. This is if it's on TV or I just need something to turn on while I, you know, nap or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love that. Yes. Uh, the Joe Carnahan uh, smoking aces is a big one. Uh, Snatch, you know, going back to the mm-hmm. guy, Richie, mob, yeah. you know, mob heist movies are, was very reminiscent. And I loved all of that. I loved how the movie would stop and flash back and tell you the, this entire story of a character only for you to catch up to them. And they'd be in one scene and then get killed immediately. Yeah. But their death ultimately being meaningful to the, the grand scheme of things, all that, that sort of like how it fits together in a puzzle box sort of way I, I found really entertaining. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest things for me though, runtime and Dalton, to your point, I really just, it, the, the action wasn't as clean as I was expecting. I get me. Th- when I think of like John wick, I have a very high bar and even like you said, atomic blonde, while I have problems with that movie, the action was certainly not one of them. Yeah. This felt way more like the Hobbs and Shaw, which is another David Leach movie that, that I enjoyed, but th- this is the kind of studio blockbuster action I would expect to see in something like that. Um, you know, and there's a lot of times I also think the movie thinks it's being more clever specifically with how they're shooting things than they actually are. And it just, at the end of the day, yep. gets kind of hard to follow uh, for me personally. So I'm middle of the road, but, but, but generally positive, I would say. Um, so I, I do I mean, talking about, you know, David Leach, uh, he, he uh he's done a lot of different stuff since John Wick. I mentioned Hobbs and Shaw. We mentioned Atomic Blonde. He did Deadpool two. Where would you guys sort of place this in his oeuvre? Like, do you think this is a a very him movie that you'd recommend? Is it disposable? Because it feels like a little bit of a pet project in that it is not some IP giant IP. But um, I don't know. I just would love to get your take here. Uh, and uh, Dalton, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I definitely think Atomic Blonde's a stronger film. Uh, I think it's it's. Jumping around time is a lot done a lot more cleanly. Um, both both films are kind of interested in structure manipulations, and I, I think Tom Blonde does it a little bit more cleanly. And I, and as we said, mm-hmm. the action is just better. Uh, I mean, Charlize Theron's got like an all time good fight scene uh, mm-hmm. in in that film. Uh, nothing in this film is going to resonate with the words "all time good." It's just it's not going to happen, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think it's about as good as Deadpool two, probably, which I think is a low key better than Deadpool one. Both of those are films I don't really love, but uh, I, I think Deadpool two is low key better than the, the first one. And uh, this is about as good as that. You know, it's it's funny when it's supposed to trying to be funny like 60% of the time. And for a movie like this, like that's honestly all it needs. It doesn't have to hit every single time, right. you know, and not every joke needs to land. Um, not every joke's going to land. It's not a comedy, but uh, when it's trying to be funny, it's usually succeeding. And I, you know, I, I respect that enough to, to say it's, you know, it, it, it bears mentioning with the things in his filmography that are well-respected. I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw, so I can't really compare it to that film, but uh yeah, as far as his other efforts, I'd, I'd say it's comparable. Uh, it's definitely not in the same league as John Wick. Uh, it's simply not the case. And that's I, that'd be a little too auteur theory of me to say Stahelski is definitely the better director compared to Leach. Uh, but I think his filmography, despite being less uh, varied, you know, it's just John Wick movies for Stahelski, but those films are succeeding at an extremely high level. Yep. Uh, and as the, the action canon uh, nerd that I am, uh, I, I got to say, like, it, it, that is the franchise that holds up. And uh, Leach's work is is 
got diminishing returns so far for me, unfortunately. I, I would say, generally speaking, that's kind of where I'm at as well. Yeah. Uh, though, I, I want to see him succeed. I really do. But though I would say I would put this over Hobbs and Shaw for sure. Okay. Uh, and honestly, I'd probably put it over Deadpool 2 as well. Uh, having only seen that film one time, enjoyed it, but haven't thought about it yeah. much yeah. since. But uh, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, I think that's just a preference choice because this is, a you know, again, like a Guy Ritchie style, like assassin movie versus a superhero film. Yeah. Um, did you see what David Ehrlich said about it? No. He said it was like, like somebody put uh, Guy Ritchie anime into Dolly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I That's think is pretty, pretty accurate. They're one of the mid-journey generators. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's where we're at now with, like, like literally the form of cinema itself. Is totally. Literally, like, in it, like, you listen to filmmakers like the Russo brothers talk about you know, Captain America's Civil War, and they're like, ew, it's our flight of, three flights of the Condor. And you're like, really? Is it? This is your like conspiracy theory. The government's in control of everything like cynical 70s commentary on America. Like, I don't think so. This is a comic book movie. But I guess if you want to use a few shorthands that let us know, like there's capital C cinema being put put into this just fluffy artifice sort of derivative, like what otherwise like impermanent uh, whatever, like. And, you know, it's it's totally where we're at in media and, and film and cinema. And, and it's part of a lack of, of literacy or sort yes. of the, uh, mm. critiquing the literacy and knowing how to sort of detach it from its sort of pruriantness or, or its intellectualism and still apply it to the things that we like and, and enjoy. Like, obviously, literature, painting, all this stuff, even music has all suffered from this. And now cinema being what 150, 200 years old is kind of at that stage. But it's, it's, this is a film that is sort of endemic of that, of this part of, of yeah. film grammar. And the fact that the action looks very clunky, but also confusing and confounding. And we're still in this like whiplash of saying like Spielberg is a master of single take action and cinematography and even Haywire with what Soderbergh did with action there you know, we're still in this phase where it's like, you know, there's these sort of like moments where you can tell where they're cutting frames to sort of let the old actor get that hand up to block the stunt actor that's already waiting for him to get the hand up. Mm -hmm. Like I saw that it's in this Jamie Foxx vampire movie where like Jamie's arm goes up two frames too soon before the stunt guy gets uh -huh. his hand through. And <laughs> oh, I know exactly like what you're talking about, Charles. Yeah. I just watched that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And, 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 is, is very much in that world where it's they're pulling from all this culture and pop culture and, and and the fact that we can sort of six degrees of Kevin or Guy Ritchie this this, this <laughs> idea you know it's just unfortunately I really loved it as, as the way I love any sort of just tr pop trash like this right in, in, totally. in its yeah. purest beautifulest form but at the end of the day it's like you know I'm not going to go back to it or if it's if it, if it is on like you know Hulu and I happen to get home at two in the morning and I still don't have, I'm tired. I might put it on and it'll put me to sleep, but it's not like, you know, a, a stellar entry of the form. I think like talk, I think you're right. Dalton about Stahelski, like the, just the volume versus the like material itself. Like Leach has been out here just trying to figure out how to recapture the wiki and style and the wiki and lore and i think when he hits it really well like with atomic blonde it's really really good and it's because it's anchored by an actress that's really committed to being in that same wiki and kind of commitment that keanu gave totally. here i feel like brad pitt's just sort of like 
I don't want to do the work that I had to do on Fight Club or, you know, even the earlier action stuff like Troy, but I'm also like still riding this high of looking like the sort of Ken doll, you know, high school quarterback that still has his, has his body and form, but doesn't, you know, get on the horse as easy, but he still wants to stay relevant. It's a bit of a disappointment in that regard because it's like, you know, you could easily take 10 years off age into like this perfect, like, you know, Redfordian kind of role, like he kind of inherited when he aged into that role of, of, of his career. Um, but I, I think that the, the industry is dictating all these sort of great actors to kind of keep flogging themselves to the culture to kind of stay relevant. You know, that's, that's my overall. I mean, unfortunate assessment I, of Leech. You're not, you're not wrong. And I think uh, John Wick's a great example of Keanu being forced to just continue to do crazy, insane action movies uh, as an example, because that's the stuff that people show up to see yeah. uh, as much as we love those movies. But to your point, uh, he's doing that because he knows that's what people want to see and how he's going to. That's what we've always wanted to see, though. Right. I mean, that like there's mm-hmm. a there's a Buster Keaton bent. Oh, yeah. To like yeah. John Wick three when he gets put through like 10 glass panes of glass in a row. That's comedy. <laughs> That's oh, the, just the, pure jokes. All, the knife, the knife scene where they're literally yeah. fight. That the was knife a, museum. Hilarious comedy. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, no, I think that's well said, um, Charles. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Brad Pitt in a second. Cause I do think that's an important factor at play here. But, uh, but, uh Lauren, I did want to give you a word here. I mean, just in terms of how you would place this with, uh, against other David Leach films. Like what, what did you think? Yeah. Tonally, I feel like it's, it's more aligned with, uh, with Deadpool two. Um, and then it kind of leans into the ultra violence of atomic blonde, but it kind of opts more more to present it in more of like this cartoonish kind of Quentin Tarantino-esque light, you know, vibe to it. Um, but for me, honestly, I think what it is is in differentiating it from that is like the storytelling just kind of suffers here for me. It's just kind of basic, you know, for me and, and kind of in many ways formulaic. So the aesthetic is cool, you know, but it kind of just loses steam the longer we sit with it as we're watching it, you know, like it doesn't exactly stick the landing. I mean, literally the train doesn't stick the land. Oh, that's a spoiler. Sorry. But so, so it's just. Thanks, yeah. Laurent. So sorry. So sorry. I won't tell you who survives and who doesn't. But, you know, yeah, you know, it's bullet train. I mean, it's not, it's not going to end well, you know, like, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it, it it's not as sophisticated, you know, as the other films, you know while still just having this like jovial like like kind of goofy charm about it that i found infectious and is what kept me you know kept me on board it's the reason why i didn't jump off the train so lauren you said something that i thought was very interesting and it just kind of speaks to like how post postmodern american filmmaking has gotten you you mentioned this movie kind of feels formulaic and it's it's interesting like in 1992 when tarantino's jumping around chronologically in his crime movie it's this big innovative move sure. and everybody's so excited and you're right. Like 30 years later, it's just like, okay, yeah, I got it. I've now. seen it. Yeah, it I've seen an out of order movie before. I got <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I don't, I don't know that it brings anything new to this genre in any way. I was really excited about the Japanese aesthetic, but uh, Dalton's your point. They kind of short, short shafted the, the, the cast and the characters there. Mm-hmm. And it, it just didn't quite, feel like uh, it was true to even like the the anime and manga thing it seemed inspired by. So all that said, though, I want to circle back on Brad Pitt because this film, I believe, is also – yeah, it's all also produced by Brad Pitt, correct? Uh, his studio did this. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, Charles, the state of Hollywood and movie stardom being a big, big part of this. Is Brad Pitt still a bankable star? Do bankable stars really still exist, honestly? Um, because I – this performance feels like he's starting to, like you said, settle into his 
just tiptoe into my I'm a I'm I'm an old guy, but I'm still sexy and I can still do cool stuff, but not actually. This is his first old man action movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do we think yeah. is is this like is this a part of A, do you think this is something people want to see from a Brad Pitt movie? And B, does that excite you? And um Dalton, I'll start with you on that. I I'm kind of surprised how not well this movie is doing. Yeah. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a big hit, and may- maybe that's what it takes. Maybe you need DiCaprio and Pitt to open a movie. And mm. that's that's where we're at. We don't have movie stars like we used to. It's, you know, we've we got need the... two. We gotta do some addition. Yeah, exactly. You, you well, did... that's also a Tarantino movie, so it's like it's a it's a, exactly. it's a triple threat. You know, it's not just a one one man totally. startup. You have a lot of uh bankable uh, God, brands, uh, for lack of a better way yeah. to put it, uh, going on. Where whereas, you know, with the Chris's, they can't open a movie. It goes straight mm-hmm. to Netflix. As you know, we don't have movie stars like we used to. It's just a different business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, now, is Brad Pitt bankable? Yeah, people like to see Brad Pitt, but he, again, nobody can open a movie to fifty million dollars on their name alone. I just don't think it can be done anymore, unless their name's Tom Cruise. I was going to say Tom. Well, Cruise. Tom, one yeah, exception, Mister Movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, I, Tom Cruise and a and a and a property from literally forty years of of generational overlap of, of of financial opportunity at a time when it was okay and permissible to really get out and go to the theater. Like that's a good point. Top Gun Maverick, not to go too offshoot, is going to be like a chapter of its own in the book about saving the cinematic movie going mm-hmm. experience, specifically for what it did to kind of you know, fool some studios while also in, enabling a lot of others to still commit to and believe that the theatrical experience can be maintained and, and still profitable and generate people to go out and get it. But when it never hurts to have a train is not that example. No, no, <laughs> no. I, I, yeah, just one side note, because we didn't get to talk about Top Gun on this podcast and I don't really want to belabor it. But the only thing I'd say there is I really to your point. Yes, Tom Cruise puts butts in seats with Mission Impossible. With Top Gun Maverick, I but I honestly think though Top Gun Maverick was only as successful as it was because it came out this summer and mm-hmm. a summer mm-hmm. where there was nothing else like it. Had mm-hmm. it come out its original release in 2020, there's no pandemic against everything else. I actually think it would have done okay, but it yeah. certainly wouldn't have been the the runaway success story that it is today. Uh, I think that's my take. You know, it never hurts to have the full weight of the American war machine behind you either. <laughs> that's true. You got, you got Mr. <laughs> Movies and the bomb droppers on your side. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. And Jesus Christ of cinema telling you he almost died for your sins just to go back to the theater. He'll always do it. Up, up the top. <laughs> I forgot about that. I can't, wait, I can't wait for him to die on the experience. set of Dead Reckoning Part 2. Oh, it's going to be amazing. It's legendary. Know, it's the perfect closure to any career. <laughs> Dead Reckoning, in which he uh-huh. actually dies. You write the uh-huh. whole movie around the fact that he dies on the set. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's Brandon Lee times a thousand. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Laron, your your take on Brad Pitt? Any thoughts on him as a movie star? You know, can he be utilized well in this new chapter? I feel like Brad Pitt. You know, I'm loving this 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 Pitt Renaissance of sorts. You know, he finally got his Oscar. You know, he finally got his due. You know, and I think he's in a place right now where it's like, okay, he's proven himself as a, as a movie star. He's just having fun. That feels like it with this one he's very relaxed into this it's not that he's phoning it in per se but he's definitely like just having a good time he's not taking it all too seriously and he has that natural kind of goofy charm about him um i've i've loved brad pitt since he took his shirt off in thelma and louise so i mean i've been on i've been on this i've been on the pit train for a a long time but you know i feel like um yeah i mean i agree with dalton's sentiment about um you know him not maybe being not having being the big box office draw that he used to be but i also think that it's indicative of 
the, the time that we're in with movies. Like we had a conversation before the podcast, you know, about how hard it is to get butts in seats. You know, people are opting, you know, to go to streaming and stay home and not spend the money to go out to the theaters, you know, for a whole host of reasons, you know, um, for financial reasons, you know. So they'll go to the movies to see like Avatar this, 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 you know, later on this year, um, the big spectacles that really warrant seeing something in a theater. You know, but like this is kind of like right there, you know, in that like, yeah, it's a box office. I mean, it's an action spectacle, but not quite of the par of of, of that kind of film, you know. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. But I also do agree that um, that Brad Pitt may not be that star anymore. He's been around for so long. We respect him as an actor. But um, but yeah, but, but Bullet Train isn't necessarily the thing that's going to, you know what I mean? bring in that large mass audience. So, Yeah, I think to your point, uh, Dalton, you mentioned DiCaprio a few minutes ago. I think Brad Pitt is well-suited here as the anchor to an ensemble. Again, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of other factors that play into this movie not being a hit. I mean, it did a okay by 2022 standards. They haven't called it a disaster, but it, it's doing just barely making ends meet, If maybe. <laughs> um, but I, I think this is a great ensemble cast, which is one of the things yeah. I like about the movie. And I actually think Brad Pitt's a great anchor, but in order for him to really be most successful, in my opinion, as both a performer, um, but also a box office draw, you've got to have other folks. And unfortunately, he is the biggest name. I think if you get a Leo mm-hmm. or someone else of that caliber to kind of he is a nice sort of ooh plus one. Oh, Brad Pitt's here, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's not the thing people are showing up to see. Um, I am curious and excited to see him shift into older Brad Pitt part of his career, because I do think. One of my favorite things about him is when he takes on the really weird kind of eccentric roles. And I think sure. this chapter should enable him to do that sure. without excuse, you know, like um, versus, you know, feeling like he has to play an action star or, uh, you know, an Ocean's Eleven riff for like eight movies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I'd love to see him deployed more effectively in a larger ensemble cast for the future. Um, all right. Uh, Charles, anything uh, I know you mentioned Brad Pitt earlier. Is there anything else you want to say about on the matter before we wrap up? Um, no, I do want to posit a theory. Are we? Do we think this is like a, a sort of sub subtle uh, Soderbergh extended universe of the Ocean's uh, Soderbergh universe? <laughs> um, there are some people that pop up in this movie that either feel like they all got a package deal on like some travel certificates to go to some <laughs> you know tropical countries and shoot a bunch of movies together, mm-hmm. um, or they're, they're you know this is you know the the rusty taking another job but changing his identity because you know the heist business is too much stress for him while also being handled by danny ocean's sister and then maybe mike uh magic mike shows up somewhere along the way um, <laughs> European vacation exploring his you know sensuality is that did anyone f- read into that at all or was that just me i am now I, yeah <laughs> i kind of want to go back and rewatch the entire filmography just to put this theory together yes uh, there was I, a point I where upset. i just started filling that in and was like this is the movie that makes it better I, i'm <laughs> just obsessed with putting channing tatum uh yes. sandra bullock and brad pitt in the same movie together uh yes. it's happened twice in one year like yeah. they're just a package deal now <laughs> i you know how that I'm probably went though it. you know how you know that 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 went i sh- i'm sure it's like Calls up Sandra Bullock. One of the two calls the other. I'm not sure who yeah, did sure. it first. Hey, uh, Brad, can you cameo for like, shoot for like a week? Uh, yeah, I'm holding, doing the thing, even though listeners can't see me doing the uh, phone thing. Uh, um, but you know, hey, hey, I know. I'm, can you do this, like be this one character in my movie for a week? And he's like, I don't know. Can you be a voice actor in my movie? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I love the idea of uh, actors And do one cameos. scene in front of a volume. 
Yes. <laughs> that scene actually looked really bad too. I have to say. Oh, oh the, the at the final scene in Bullet Train. Yeah, yeah it's very poorly it's composited. Yeah. Um, and I won't That's spoil anything further, but. But I will say that other there were a variety of cameos in this movie, and I did find those to be really, really yep. fun. Even yeah. if they're a one-trick pony, they're not going to be as fun mm -hmm. the second time. But that first time, yeah. it was a lot of fun to see him pop up. All right, letter grade for Bullet Train, Dalton Stewart. I'm starting for you. This is like a C minus, which sounds bad, but like convert it into star grades. That's a two and a half. That half star. That's pretty special half. Mm -hmm. That means you did something good. Uh, they did do uh, Karen Fukuhara dirty, though, uh, by putting her in this movie mm -hmm. and giving her nothing to do. Nothing. So, uh, yeah, you know, C minus two and a half stars. It's it's fun. I'm, I'm with everybody here. You know, I could see myself falling asleep to this in the future. But, uh, you know, it's you know, I'm not not in any hurry to revisit it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Dalton or sorry, uh, LeBron. Uh, I'm kind of toggling between C plus and B minus, and I'm 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 favoring I'm favoring a B minus right now, just in in this conversation that we're having, because I think it it sets out to do mostly what it does, and you know it succeeds mostly at doing that, and maybe that's not very much, but for me it was enough for too maybe too long, but you know for two hours of entertainment. So mm, all right, so uh, that brings us to Charles. What what letter grade would you give this film? I also give it a pretty solid B minus. It was exactly what I needed uh, after a long, hard week of work. Uh, so it did exactly what it needed to do. Um, it just needed to be about a 30 minutes shorter and streamline some of those plot threads. Maybe we don't need to see Joe Berg as much. Like we got it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I will come back and round us out with the C plus. And, and you raise a great point there, Charles. A lot of times these ratings are, you know, it's, it's, it's circumstantial. What mood was I in when I went to theater? I'm not going to lie. I saw this movie coming off as of an extraordinarily difficult week in my life. And I literally was like holding on to, I can't wait until we can finally just sit down in a theater and watch Bullet Train. <laughs> and I, in fact, did uh, escape for a couple of hours and it was great. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it gets, that's where it went from a C to a C plus for me. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, let's move on to our third film today. Bodies, bodies, bodies. A you don't have to be nervous. I I'm not nervous. Wow. Damn. So impressive. You're impressive. They're going to be obsessed with you. They're not as nihilistic as they look on the internet. You guys, this is me. Oh. Whoa. Is this your first relationship? Oh, no. You just kind of give that vibe. Well, you know that has weed in there, right? Who wants to play bodies, bodies, bodies? So how do you play? So according to IMDb, bodies, bodies, bodies is described as when a group of rich 20-somethings plan a hurricane party at a remote family mansion, a party game turns deadly in the fresh and funny look at backstabbing, fake friends, and one party gone very, very wrong. I should note this film was released exclusively in theaters, firstly limited on August 5th, and then it expanded more widely on August 12th. Uh, that is when we got it here in Oklahoma on the 12th. Uh, Ron, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? I feel like I'm super biased here because, honestly, I love this. And it's because it's right up my alley in that kind of meta slasher satire vibe. You know, if you guys know, I'm a Scream fanatic. So um, I think it's hilarious. I think it's subversive. I think it was unexpectedly clever. Um, 
And while it doesn't reach the kind of heights of the best of the series of like the Scream franchise, you know, like I feel like um, it taps into that same kind of energy um, while being its own unique animal. Um, and so I feel like it's a like a new generation iteration of that kind of film um, with a very different approach. So. All right, so you, you're saying you're gonna? I'm pretty say high on this modern so. modern scream, like screen uh, of the. Too, it's a stretch too far, but okay. it's it's right there. It's okay. like you know, it's like it's it's tapping into that that okay. that vibe. So okay, all right, Dalton Stewart, what did you think of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Yeah, I'm into this. This is a good movie. Uh, I, I there's a, uh, a very much a theater energy to this, and I, it comes from Helena Rajan, who uh, directed this. You know, very much encouraged her cast to to play off of each other in sort of a much more theater acting style, and I think it shows. I think the performances are all really, really solid here. I think there's some really kind of interesting things done with lighting throughout the film. Uh, as as you know, we lose power in the mansion, and it gets a little spookier. We we do some kind of clever things with uh, glow bracelets and cell phone uh, flashlights uh, and sleep masks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm into this movie. This is a fun time, and it's got you know Oklahoma's very own Lee Pace. Thank Come you, on, Lee baby. Pace. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lovely Pace. Uh, this is gonna be the whole review is just me yeah. crushing on Lee Pace. Yeah, God Emperor of yep. the Universe himself. <laughs> right? That's, is that what they call him in Foundation? No, God Emperor's uh, Dune. My yeah. bad. <laughs> you know what is it? Uh, there's the three. I don't know. Brother yeah. Day. Brother that's Day. That's what it, it is. That's yeah. Right. Okay. Anyway, we got it. Caleb and I know our Foundation. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Apple TV. Watch it. Just so I can keep watching it. That's all I need. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm into this movie. This is yeah. a fun time. I, I, I'm maybe a little cooler on it than Laurent, but not by much. I, I think that this is a fun time, and that's mostly. You know, it, it kind of harkens back to a complaint some of us had with Bullet Train. I think there's some some blocking and action in, the, in this that's yeah. a little clunky. You know, it's a little little early uh, directorial debut type stuff. You know, but you know, nothing terrible. Nothing that's really to make me mad or make me turn against the film. I, overall, I'm I'm very on board with this. I think every performance really works. I think it's very funny. Um, I, I'm friends with somebody who's a nemesis of Rachel Sennett or who's Rachel Sennett is a nemesis of them. Uh, I won't I won't speak any further, but it's very that was just very fun to have going into that movie is is to think, hey, this actor is mean to a friend of mine. Oh, no. oh gosh, that's hilarious. she's like my favorite part of this. That's no, she's here. great in it. Yeah. Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah. She's absolutely fabulous. She's she is. Uh, I made me really want to see Shiva Baby, which I've been meaning to catch up. Fantastic. That's different, what I hear. Different podcast, but fantastic. Yeah, I've heard. And it's only good. 70 minutes. So it's like a quick watch. So well, as for what I've heard, it needs to only be 70 minutes. I've heard it's a very well, yeah. stressful 70 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that as well. And, and this is a pretty stressful, you know, 90 minutes. I, I think this movie sure. does oh, a good job yes. of making the stakes feel real, really ratcheting tension up. You know, all the things you want from a whodunit, I, I think this film delivers. Yeah. All right. So another very positive take here. Charles Elmore, what did you think of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Um, hmm. I think I'm probably going to land a little bit further behind Dalton and Laurent. Um, I, I enjoyed it. First and foremost, positive praise up front. I really overall loved it. Is this kind of our generation's uh, The Big Chill, maybe? I don't know. Um, there's certainly a, a missing person that kicks off the whole movie um, and everyone sort of gathers at a house to kind of unpack their sort of generational malaise and anxieties about where they've arrived at a certain age and both how they saw, sort of saw themselves, but also how they sort of present themselves outwardly to their own generation and world. Um, feels a little Big Chill-esque, I guess, with a better soundtrack thanks to Charlie XCX. Um, but <laughs> overall, it just felt like a lot like the generation it's kind of making a commentary on, I guess. It sort of meanders and loses track of the argument. 
it's making and end up just sort of going back to a little quiet space or safe space to sort of regroup and then ultimately leave. Um, that's kind of how I felt overall about the film itself, like as a just assessment of the movie form and all. That being said, I loved every single actor in this, like Pete Davidson. Like I, yeah. sorry everyone, but I love that that guy. Like he can. Mm. I, and maybe it's just a sort of hate love, but I will watch anything he's in because I just love what he does and the, the, the choices he makes. And he's a, he's exceptional in this. And he totally leans into the Pete Davidson-ness of <laughs> his character. And he's a great foil against the, the what is primarily a, a mainly female cast, which I think is beautiful and so phenomenal about this movie. Like the opportunity to explore not just sort of class dynamics and economic dynamics within certain sort of aspirational circles but also like what happens to women and 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 you know uh, uh bipoc people and members of that specific class of people like this they're all very phenomenal in, in embodying those sort of anxieties and, and arguments and reflections and ultimately i think i like that the most about the movie is what it's trying to say more about an aspirational class of the generation it's trying to make a commentary on in this beautiful kind of again agatha christie kind of inspired story um but with this new generational spin um but it just felt like they kind of like you said lost some or lost some sort of technical command of what the story they were trying to tell and it's interesting the three movies we're talking about are essentially they all have access to the same mechanisms but the financial act aspect of that reflects how they have to make the movie and ultimately mm -hmm. if you only have one stunt coordinator and two grips you can basically only light with uh, a sleep mask and a bunch of led <laughs> low lights you get from the dollar store right um, but nonetheless, it's still very effective for what they did and, and for it being an A24 film, like it's right in line with that style. So, um, you know, I'm a very sort of middle of the road about it because I think I'm still trying to assess what it's sort of overall. It is the most densest of these three to kind of try to figure out and kind of figure out what its whole meaning is. So that's why I'm still very cool on it. But that's where I landed on it, Caleb. What about you? Yeah, I, I would say I'm middle of the road, too, with a bend towards the positive, because it's unlike Bullet Train, where I think I think I came around to it more the more I thought about it. this one. The things that bothered me, the technical aspects, some of the character, I, again, I'm not going to spoil, but there's a couple of character interactions that they bring up in the last act of the film that I'm like, oh, this is super clearly very important that I, I didn't I would have liked to have seen a little more setup in those same characters earlier in the film. Uh, the technical, I will say the editing and just again how they did some blocking and lighting. And specifically, I would say probably like the, the tail end of the second and beginning of the third act. I did get a little disoriented and maybe that was the point. Um, but I love the cast. I love Lee Pace. I love Pete Davidson. Um, by the way, best sequel ever, Borat 3. I love how they they, they really subverted the expectations <laughs> and called it uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, but I say that to say, uh, Marie Baklava, just love seeing her pop up in more projects. I think she's excellent. And her character was definitely the one I was most intrigued by because she had so much going on internally that you, mm -hmm. you were trying to figure out. She's such a good audience insert, man. I yeah, mean, Baklava yeah. is so good in this. And mm -hmm. like as like 
one of the only explicitly not rich people or not yeah. at least not middle like the, the most working class person there like yeah. brings so much as like this very internal character yeah i'm so glad you you, you highlighted her she's Kayla. a great conduit for yeah. you for the audience yes, totally sure. totally well and she's she's a great conduit for the audience but the way the choices they make at the very beginning of the movie and how they introduce these characters mm-hmm. I, I i genuinely think with the who done it i was like it could be anyone even the main character we're following i'm like there there seems to be motivation that's at play interesting you know? I, I always was pretty certain it was she had nothing to do with it i was pretty sure she was clean of of any wrongdoing but that's interesting that that was like, my that was my yeah. take because we don't get we get we open with a very romantic scene between Not her sure. and her partner but we really but as they bring up we're like we don't really know anything about but you is it romantic caleb Mm. I love you. It's okay if you don't love me back, <laughs> but I love you. It's fucking great. It's, I, it's I think great. I don't know. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, I do too. I'm starting to like it more as we're talking about it. <laughs> but but to your point though, I mean, Charles laid it out. This is a very uh, uh, the densest of the three movies, mm. and, I, and I think it has been the one I've thought the most about in terms of like, how do I feel about this? What works? What doesn't? Mm-hmm. It's clearly saying something about Gen Z to a certain degree, and how Gen Z or you could even extend millennials to a certain degree, communicate via technology, text messages, and like the role that plays and how sort of the, but it also kind of hits that dark, that deeper truth of like, we just all the times make assumptions about people. The, all of this, mm-hmm. this entire scenario could have been avoided if these people just actually talk to each other yeah, like in a meaningful way. You know? And that's not necessarily a Gen Z thing, right? No, it, like, it's, I think, exactly. This is a movie I about, think that's the point, yeah, but we'll exactly. get to that in a moment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, so it's, 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 it's kind of commenting on Gen Z Cell phones and here's common on all yeah. of us, but it's also yeah. like, but we are also the, the problems they have are the same. We all have. And, I, mm-hmm. and the way they kind of put that on the screen, I, I found pretty compelling. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I think I was really satisfied with the reveal at the end. I was, I, mm-hmm. I loved it. Like, and again, I won't go into details of what it was, but I thought this is, this is fresh. This is great. And it makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I yeah. love the ending of this yeah. movie. I think this is an all time great ending. I, I, I tend to agree uh, on that thing. So um, with all that said, what, maybe we could kind of put our finger on it. It's, you know, Charles and I have said it's the densest film. Is there anything else in particular that you think sets this film apart from other movies we've seen this summer? Uh, Leron? Well, I feel like, yeah, it's like it, for me, it kind of is a, it's a standout because it does feel like this, um, fierce critique of the Gen Z youth culture, you know, and privilege too. Like there's, cause these are all with, you know, with exception of Maria Mbaklova's character, you know, the, um, she's the, the one that's the one that doesn't have a lot of, mo- of money. But I felt like what's fascinating about this is that I didn't warmly embrace any of these characters. In fact, I kind of despised all of them, but in deliberate ways, you know, like mm-hmm. I felt like that was intentional. Um, Except for Lee Pace, I just, I, fair, I, I just, fair. he just wanted fair. to lay and and, and uh, meditate. That's that's, uh, I, <laughs> that's how can fair. I hate a guy who does that? That's fair, yeah. But what's fascinating about it is it does feel like a social commentary because you mentioned, you know, like like if they just had a, a couple conversations, this whole scenario could have been avoid, avoided. And I love that that's that's that that feels to be the point of the story is like as soon as they're they're not beholden to their cell phones, they have they're like helpless in, in regard and help in, you know, being able to interact and have human connections with people because they live in this other realm that Gen Z culture grew up in that, you know, so that's how they communicate. And so then all of a sudden they feel exposed and all their anxieties and all their, you know, insecurities are just kind of like being thrust, you know, out and they, and that's how they turn really mean and mean spirited and nasty really quickly because they haven't dealt with their own traumas, you know? And so I found all that to be really fascinating. I don't think they were meant to be in, embraced warmly. I think they were meant to be kind of examined and studied and like, hey, here's just a little peek into it. And so, and I found that very hilarious. And one of the funniest lines involving Lee Pace is when they asked, um, 
uh, is Rachel, say her game, her name, uh, Senate. Senate's character. Um, you know, like, how well do you know this dude? You know, and she's like, and then when we finally coax out that she's only known him for like two weeks, two weeks, you know, she's like, but he's a, but he's a Virgo. Was, that means like a, something. That, dude, it's one of the jokes of the movie. Yeah. It's not even, she's like, he's a Libra moon or something. Oh, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Something yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. super specific, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like really like, and that is literally something astrology. someone from that, that totally. generation would say yes. and, and mean it. <laughs> so. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's an incredible joke. Yeah, uh, Dalton, what do you I'm think? with Laurent. Yeah, I think everybody in this movie is like so compelling and kind of lovable in the ways that they're terrible. Yeah, like, right, they're, they're right. all very human and and very real in ways I appreciate. And and as Charles mentioned, we've got Pete Davidson here who looks like he fucks, and that is the vibe that he puts out there. <laughs> you know, that is simply what he brings to the party, uh, and he's he's great in this. I mean, he got Ariana Grande and Kate, Kim Kardashian, so I it's guess he did something right. And Kate right. Beckinsale. It's ridiculous. Un- unfathomable. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, I, I Yeah, I, I think the, the character portraits we get here are really special and, and do add a lot to the film. Yeah. Um, and it just makes that, that whodunit element more compelling and again where where we end up makes everything that comes before that much more interesting to me um because it is it is uh as, as we've said like it becomes so clear how avoidable this situation was but fear is a very motivating emotion and uh, it definitely is, is something that's motivating everybody here and uh, again that motivates people to lash out and like refuse to accept connection in really kind of interesting ways. Uh, and, and again, like Fear I, plus a little bit of cocaine goes a long way. Well, yeah, look, you know, fair, you know, fair, being, being, being coked up certainly doesn't help. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the ways in which it like uses, you know, this sort of generational stuff to, to make larger points about people. Like I, we do get a little bit of that generational conflict stuff, you know, Lee Pace kind of realizing, Oh, you're fucking with me. Like those, that, that moment's really great. Like this mm-hmm. sort of revelation of, of oh I am I am is the this mockery or exactly I'm the subject of scorn and derision right yeah. now I, yeah. I thought that I was one of the fun ones too um, yeah I think all that stuff's kind of interesting but again I, that generational stuff like gives way to larger like human concerns right, mm-hmm. and, right. and I think the ways in which this kind of shows generational differences to not, not be that real I think is kind of interesting mm-hmm. uh, and again yeah it's it is like being uh, centered as like the Gen Z movie that that's going on right now, but again, I, I think it's I don't know. I think its concerns are are much more broad than that. I don't think mm. they're 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 using specificities to get at something uh, more much more general. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Charles. I mean, what what do you think? I mean, what sets this apart from other films of the that we've seen so far this summer? I mean, I think to continue on 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 Dalton and Laurent's point, like it, what sets it apart is that it is a film that is. Taking an taking the, the 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 sort of genre, you know, this kind of whodunit murder mystery, um, in a house kind of, you know, it's Clue hopped up on Adderall and you know cocaine and, and <laughs> San Pellegrino, um, and it's very fascinating to to take uh, the backdrop of a sort of generation who's been who's grown up in a sort of high functioning, high performing post traumatic conflict. Uh, era where we sort of tried to resolve conflict before it even became a thing where we had to have conflict resolution uh, uh, methods and conversations. And so much of this film is about avoidance of conflict resolution through sort of uh, confrontation and, and accountability. And, and every, every be, everybody keeps talking about how they're concerned or they're checking in on, or they actually secretly hate or have, con- you know, all these sort of things. And we all know having conversations or seeing 
shade on Instagram and Twitter or whatever social media view we're sort of parsing our generational voice through. Um, I've had those conversations as well, but I've never had the like, hey, you're being a dick conversation or, right. you know, stop trying so hard to be ambitious because some of us are just barely getting by with no ambition and it's hard. Um, and keeping up with the sort of frame of performative like lifestyle is, is exhausting. And this film does a very interesting job sort of parsing those little nuances of human behavior and, and, and sociology and inter interclass dynamics within that. Um, within the sort of murder mystery, like horrific backdrop in that A24 kind of new line cinema of our Gen Z era kind of t tone, tone and style. So um, it, that's why I think it's still worth kind of looking at and going back and seeing like, how are these like reflections of the culture that it's made in while also sort of commenting or, or just being the genre it is, um, which makes it very worth kind of unpacking, even if the filmmakers you know, didn't have the full capacity to execute it the way that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven do, or, you know, any of the sort of genres that sort of set the bar, but I'm very much interested in this. And I think it really sets itself out and worth really looking into and watching again after it's on VOD or whatever. Yeah, and, and, I think that, and I think the thing that you mentioned earlier, Charles, I mean, um, I, I don't have much more to add because you guys have all said it really well, just sort of unpacking sort of, uh, you know, the difference between the specificity of Gen Z versus the larger human condition and classic whodunits. But Charles, you mentioned earlier, this has a very strong Agatha Christie vibe. Agatha mm -hmm. Christie has been around for a hot minute, right? Mm -hmm. So like, mm -hmm. like this is still, despite being, I think really innovative and timely um, and, and introspective of both, uh, you know, living in 2022, both as uh, you know, Gen Z or not, this the, the framework is a classic framework that works extremely well um, for us to really explore where are we at today as humans, the fact that who are we going to throw under the bus when, when things fall apart, you know, who, yeah. one of us is a killer. What's that going to look like? Um, the finger pointing, what does that really reveal about us, uh, today versus, you know, when Agatha Christie, um, you know, originally rolled out her novels. But anyway, I just, I said to say, I love that we're able to continue telling new iterations on a story that's been around for a very long time. Um, it just speaks to how powerful, uh, that genre has been. Um, the last thing I'd say, guys, I mean, I, I felt a little attacked in this, uh, you know, I'm a little attacked that podcasters just uh, not getting great screen representation. The, the trope continues. The podcasters are either are really dumb and fool themselves or they're really uh, predatory and are taking advantage of people. So uh, you know. I secretly love this podcast, so I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> Dalton, I have a confession. I've never listened to your podcast. You know, that's I'm not always true. happy when I find out people haven't listened to my podcast, honestly. I'd rather they didn't. You know, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, great. There's really a lot more we can unpack here. Uh, just real quick, is, is there anything else we want to add about bodies, bodies, bodies before we do letter grades and move into our round robin uh, iteration? No, no, I think I'm happy. Good. All right. Dalton Stewart, what letter grade would you give bodies, bodies, bodies? Uh, this is a B plus for me. Uh, something's holding me back from going a little higher and maybe on, on rewatches I'll figure out what it is. Uh, but I, I do like this movie quite a bit and I, I look forward to revisiting it at some point. I think it pairs really well with, um, you know, uh, Charles already mentioned it's a 24 pedigree and I, I think uh, it pairs really well with spring breakers, you know, 10 Ooh. years out from sort of mm -hmm. the birth of a 24, they've yeah. continued to be a, a force for, for 
cinema in America and, uh, you know, for real movie making. And, uh, you know, I, if you've listened to my uh, recent top 100 films countdown, you know, I am sort of a, an A24 stan at heart, but, uh, I think it's because they keep making films that are about something and, and, you know, for whatever quibbles I may have with bodies, 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 and I'm sure other folks might have more quibbles, like whatever doesn't work about this film. I think what you can't say works is that it's about real people and real emotions. Yep. And, uh, that's, that's valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Uh, Charles, what letter grade would you give bodies, bodies, bodies? Um, I'm a, I would give it a solid B. I mean, I think just knowing how a film like that, just being able to go to a theater and see is such a success and the, the, the road that they probably had to go down to be able to get financing and that cast together and how long they probably took it. And I'm sure there are articles talking about how they all met in college and just talked about this idea and finally got access. And I think that is such a, an applaud of worthy accomplishment. Um, and I think knowing that and the fact that they had to sort of probably compromise certain aspects of their ambition and their vision, like the fact that this still turned out this way and we're talking so deeply about it, I think it's a really solid debut and success. And I, I am really interested to see if this is successful, what it does for the filmmakers and the writer of this and how, you know, if they as they mature into more bigger budgets and more sort of control over their own projects, kind of what they can do the same way that Robert Eggers got his his opportunities and, um, you know, filmmakers of his class have been given. And um, so, you know, I, I'm very proud of this as, as, a, as a movie going experience. And that's why I think a B, you know, is where I land and it probably will go a little higher if I get to watch it a few more times yeah well said Laurent. i think they really took some some risks here that i think like we've all been kind of warmly embraced the ending we've all said that we really love it um but uh the mixed company that i went i saw it with were very split on that they mm. felt like it was a huge waste of their time once we got there but wow. for me i just i, I got a, a good laugh out of that and it made complete sense made the entire yeah. movie like click into in you know click for me but um, I think it's really sharp satire. Um, and again, right in my wheelhouse, this is my, th these are my Marvel movies. You know what I mean? Like the, the horror genre, that element, like I will defend a B movie for as, you know, to the end of time. Laurent's, uh, Laurent's Avengers if you, is if you take all the the killers from every whodunit in the last 10 years, that's his Avengers. There you go. There it is. There it is. I'd you watch know, that. He, he, so, um, so I, I think that they took some bold risk storytelling wise, and I think that what suffered in some of the other films that we've mentioned earlier in the podcast were were, were the storytell details, and I think that's what the that's what shines in this particular movie, and the technicals kind of suffer. Um, but for me, it's really sharp satire, um, a really fun watch, really insightful um, about today's youth culture. So I would give this a uh, probably a solid A minus. A minus. All right, Laurent, come in real hot on that. I love it. Um, I'm gonna go with the B. Uh, you know, B for bodies, 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 just straight down the middle. Um, also, you know, it could have been a B plus if there was Lee Pace was not in every single scene. That was right. the problem. She, you know, that would have notched it. I up. went from a plus to a regular. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm a sucker. Also, Halt and Catch Fire. This is a shameless plug on Netflix. Tremendously um, incredible show. Underrated. Watch it. It's great. Um, but uh, no, I I think this is going to be Charles. I'm, I'm really close in line with you here. I do think I'm going to warm up to this the more I watch it. But for now. Have a few hangups. The fact that it felt long. It, 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 it's a 90 minute movie. And that was actually one of the selling points. I'm like, oh, it's 90 minutes. I can, me and my fiance, Lauren can get in, get out, have a good time. We love whodunits. 
and it actually felt really long, which was weird. Um, it's a dense 90 minutes. It's a dense sure. 90 minutes, and uh, I don't think that's necessarily a problem, but it just, it, it's keeping me from saying, like, yes, this is the, 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 the time, I, the, what I was expecting um, at the end of the day, but still, very solid B, great movie. I'm going to recommend it to pretty much anyone I talk to who has any passing interest in horror or whodunits or mysteries, for sure. All right, gentlemen, we have reached sort of the, the conclusion section of our podcast, and the challenge here is we are going to do a round robin where each one of us gets a minute to talk about another movie we've seen this month. Full disclosure, I'm a little uh, – you guys are really here to, to, to lift me up uh, because I have actually not seen a ton of movies this month. However, I have one. So I will be doing one round. We're going to go around the table starting with Laron, then Dalton, uh, and then Charles – and then me, and then I'm going to mix it up after that until we run out of movies. And uh, once you're out of movies, just say, uh, when I pass it, you say, I'm out of movies. And I'm going to be timing all of you. So one minute flat. We all set to go? All right. Uh, so round robin, starting with Laurent, go. Uh, the first movie I want to uh, give a shout out to here is Emily the Criminal uh, with Aubrey Plaza. Uh, who's known for her acidic brand of comedy, but, you know, kind of gets overlooked for her dramatic chops and here proves that she has the range um, to deal with that in a film that has is a great commentary on class and uh, wealth disparity. Um, there's not an ounce of, um, you know, of her, her signature brand of comedy in this. This is definitely a vanity-free plaza role, and I hope people put a shine and put a spotlight on her uh, for, for future projects like this. Oh, great. 30 seconds. Dalton, go. Uh, I just checked out uh, Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut um, on the count of three, which, uh, as as with Prey, is now on Hulu. Uh, got very limited theatrical release, so I'm glad it's widely available now. But a really great film that he also co-stars in with Christopher Abbott, uh, a movie that uh, manages to, to say life is for living without ever being like saccharine or sentimental about it because it's very uh, – I know, a very earnest and heartfelt exploration of what it feels like to want to die uh, and, and how to survive when that's uh, seems like the furthest thing from your mind. Uh, it's a really great film. Uh, again, a, a really wonderful directorial debut, uh, funny and uh, uh, moving. I really liked it a lot. Great. Wow. 45 seconds. Charles, go. Uh, is it got to be new or old? I missed that part. This month, August. Yeah. Go for all one. Yeah. Well, I only say because I, I bought it this month at the Barnes & Noble, but it was The Devil in the Blue Dress. But if it's a new one, it's definitely First Shift, which is that Jamie Foxx vampire movie that's on Netflix right now. It's, it's essentially Dawn in 60 Seconds, but with vampire teeth instead of cars. And it's just uh, basically Jamie Foxx plays a blue-collar dad trying to keep his broken family somewhat intact, feeling like they're middle class. And so in order to do that, he has to accrue a certain amount of money before uh, the bills come due. And in order to make money, he has to essentially hunt down vampires in the san bernardo valley and extract their teeth in hopes of profiting from it and there's a whole wonderful uh, backstory of land development and uh bougie neighborhood developments that is rife and riff with metaphors but it's a really entertaining film and it's again continuing this kind of action trend we're in but jamie fox is so just wonderful to watch and every time i see him i just can't not look away and so he really elevates a b kind of material into something really entertaining so first Man, you nailed it one minute one minute on. God, yeah. All right. Uh, my one other movie this month is 3000 years of longing. I just saw this last night and it's the new mo uh, movie from George Miller. You know, George Miller, the one who directed happy feet, 
Bay Pig in the City, and of course, Mad Max Fury Road, naturally, in that order. Uh, no, not really. Uh, first, this is great. This is uh, really a largely sort of a, a chamber piece in which it's mostly the, 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 the core plot is actually just people sitting in rooms talking, uh, you know. Um, so you have Tilda Swinton, who, who basically through means that you'll discover via watching the movie, uh, finds a genie who is played, or uh, a jinn, I should say, that's played by Idris Elba. And uh, they just talk about Idris Elba's story, what brought him to where he's at. I found it, found it to be a very powerful story about stories, about loving, uh, about love, about loss, and um, sort of that longing feeling you have for love uh, through various chapter of your, uh, uh, chapters of your life and how that sort of evolves. Uh, again, I love that we are going to get another Mad Max film from Miller, Fingers crossed. I think it's in production right now. It was nice to see him do something a little more quiet and introspective with this piece. And now I'm going to go to you, Dalton. Oh, you're coming back to me already. Um, well, I've seen everybody's mentioned the films I've seen. So I'll say uh, let's talk about Emily the Criminal first. I also saw this film. Uh, Aubrey Plaza's throwing heat in this. Holy shit. She's so good. Uh, and Theo Rossi, an actor that I like quite a bit, uh, who's showed up in a, a few things. He's kind of most notably uh, supporting character in Sons of Anarchy, but I think he's really, really good and understated uh, in Emily the Criminal. And again, uh, I, I want to just echo everything Laurent said. I think it's a, a very um, thoughtful exploration of modern times. Uh, I have a spouse with a shitload of student loan debt, so it's a very relatable film. Um, and you know, hard not to uh, relate to and uh, um, feel drawn through this story of uh, of broken financial systems and uh, you know broken promises. It's a, it's a really solid movie. So uh, again, the name of the film one more time. Emily the Criminal. Emily the Criminal. Underline that one because you got two recommends there. Laurent, go. Uh, the next one I want to highlight is Resurrection. I don't think we uh, you know really embrace Rebecca Hall as an actress well enough. I think she's been doing great work consistently for the last 10 years. Um, and I, this is an original genre thriller, you know, that takes some really ambitious narrative swings into the surreal and kind of metaphorical. And it's really anchored by her performance. Um, cause I don't think anyone would take this really bonkers, like it goes to some crazy places in its final act, um, without her performance grounding it. And it, it's a, it's a killer of a performance. So, all right, resurrection, check it out. Uh, Charles, back to you. I'm out cause I don't get to watch as many movies anymore. Currently. feel that Dalton back to you uh Marcel the shell with shoes on another a24 joint uh with uh, Jenny Slate and um oh I can't think of the director's name but he's also the co-lead uh what a nice little movie mm-hmm. yeah the shell movie made me cry whatever mm-hmm. uh, I liked it a lot it's cute very heartwarming uh if you if you saw these internet videos you know 10 years ago or so <clears> when they they were first circulating I think you'll get a kick out of this but even if you're not familiar with the source material I do think it's just a a really strong hybrid uh stop motion animation live action film uh just you know it's a good it's weird when A24 makes a family movie but they they definitely did and I think this works really well as just sort of a you know a low key uh, family story uh, that you could take literally anybody to. You take your grandma to this. You could take a kiddo to this. This this I think would work on just about anyone. It's such a charming film. And you got to get those kids in the A twenty four train early. Uh, Laurent, back to you. I'm um, bring us home with another Idris Elba film, uh, Beast, which released this. This how this. is Beast? Listen, I went into <laughs> this with uh, very tempered expectations. <laughs> And you know what? I, I, it's a B movie through and through. It's your, it's your deep blue sea anaconda, but not quite of the height of that. But still, he punches a lion in yeah. the mouth. That is cinematic history in its own right. So, um, it's really, really tense. Again, ninety minute movie doesn't, doesn't, you know, waste any time. Gets right into it. 
and it works as what it is. It's completely disposable, but it's a good time. All right, great. Dalton, anything else on your end? Uh, I also saw Day Shift. Also think it's dumb as hell. Also think it's kind of fun. <laughs> um, I also saw 3,000 Years of Longing. It also made me feel feelings of longing and love. Uh, I think it's a great film. Uh, I also watched, for the first time, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing this month. Ooh, nice. It's a good noir. And I revisited uh, the film 20th Century Women. What a oh, film. What a picture. Amazing wow. movie. Holy shit, what a movie. Yeah. I had forgotten how much I love that film. Uh, and I think that, that pretty much rounds me up. I had, a, I had a very busy August. I've been, I've been watching a lot of stuff. Very nice. All right. Cool. Great job, guys. Well done, team. Um, you know, thanks for everyone for pitching in here. I was distracted by dragons for some TV show that I'll talk about in a little bit in the show that occupied a lot of my brain space the last two weeks. But uh, lots of good movies. Uh, and frankly, upside of September kind of being awful is I can catch up on all the stuff you guys just mentioned that I didn't get to. There so there we go. And avoid the rest. <laughs> and avoid the rest. All right. Uh, well, we are going to wrap up the show just by talking about what movie we're most excited to see through the remainder of the year. A couple movies. It doesn't have to be one. You could pick one or two or three, whatever, you know, whatever comes to the top, uh, top of mind. Uh, so we have, what, what's that? Uh, four months left in 2022. And I, I just... I'm curious about how it's going to play out given that basically September and half of October is total nothing. So Charles, I'll start with you. What are some of the movies that you're most uh, anticipating this year? Um, you know, I, I mean, I think I'm in, in the same group as everyone expecting kind of the big ones, like the Fablemans and, and, you know, kind of Spielberg finally being at the age where he can kind of really explore his origins and, and, and put it in the cinematic record. Um, but I, you know, I, I saw the, poster and the trailer and i don't know if it's just the 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 ai targeting me specifically but the tar movie that kate blanchett is going to star in this mm. new todd build film um that looks amazing and like when i saw that i just was immediately like there's nothing i'm more looking forward to than kind of watching that just by the trailer so i love todd field i love little children and i love in the bedroom and mm. he you know he's one of those filmmakers where you're always surprised why there's such a gap between their output. But then when you see the film, they finally come out with, you're kind of really uh, proud and astonished. And, you know, it's not surprising that, you know, Todd Field was in a Kubrick movie and sees Kubrick as kind of a mentor of his and takes the kind of time to explore historical figures like this, uh, like the, the subject in uh, this movie. So it seems like a real, real interesting kind of caliber movie that, that I'm very excited about that definitely goes on my radar all right yeah tar that and i i also just saw the the, the trailer for that this week i guess it was released but uh i'm very intrigued uh, to say the least i had no idea this movie even existed so it's a uh, move up the chart pretty fast uh, leron how about you what are you most anticipating for the remainder of the year uh the, the tar is definitely one of them um i feel like um I, I had a conversation with my partner about it and we were like i was like how is kate blanchett in this and this filmmaker never worked together. But then, then I went and looked at his filmography, and I was realized, oh, because he doesn't—he hasn't made very many movies. They just have so much weight. His movies that I feel like they—that he's been, you know, been has doing he him. done anything since Little Children? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think movie, right? he's done. I don't anything. think so. Yeah. What but, a what a movie though. It's mm -hmm. like yeah, that in 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 the in the bedroom. You know, it was a huge huge movie when it came out. You know, like uh, um, and Sissy Spacek doesn't get enough praise or enough flowers for that performance in that movie, mm -hmm. but. Um, but I mean, obviously Holly Berry won the Oscar that year. So that took historical significance, you know, for sure. But, um, but as far as, uh, outside of that, you know, for me, I mean, 
I'm going to go back to the genre films and say that, you know, um, I'm excited for Halloween ends and, you know, Halloween kills cannot kill my joy. Okay, guys. So, I tried um, really hard. I tried really, really hard to do so. And I can't, I can't really defend it very, very, you know, very, very Evil much. Evil dies tonight, Laurent. But um, look, I've been following Laurie Strode, not for 40 years. I'm not quite that age, but I've watched all the films and I'm, uh, this, in many ways, again, seeing Jamie Lee Curtis saying this is the last movie she's going to be in with Michael Myers, you know, has me very intrigued as to how that showdown is going to go. Um, and I hope that it obviously is a, a tick up or two um, closer to the, the first one in this timeline that they've started. Um, and in many ways, for me, is a moment of cinematic history, seeing the two of them come together to a head. So, You know, I, I'll have to say is that there's a lot in my from my perspective, there's a lot riding on the the franchise with this new movie because this lot the the I, I've cooled off on the 2018 since I saw it. I still like it, but I cooled off. I came mm-hmm. real high. Kills was terrible, and now I'm like, well, if this next one's terrible, it just it just retroactively makes me like that first one even more. Like, more. So uh, I hope uh, hope it lands the plane. Yeah, yeah. I may or not may not have been spoiled on what happens in the end. We'll not share that here. Won't even even. Uh-oh. But if it if where it they say it's going to go actually does happen, then I will be very happy to see how that's executed. Uh-huh. So. I just want to see a duel of fates, Anakin versus Obi-Wan, but with Michael Myers <laughs> and Laurie Strode for two hours. I, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dalton Stewart, how about you? What are you most anticipating this year? Well, you know, I, I'm i also excited about some of the big ones coming down the pipe. Uh, you know, uh, The Fablemans, obviously, who's not excited for that one? Uh, Glass Onion, uh, yep. the Knives Out sequel. But uh, I wanted to highlight some some movies in September that are coming out. There are, There is some stuff in September that looks interesting. Uh, you've got Viola Davis and the Woman King from mm. Gina Prince Brythewood, which mm. I mean that looks fucking cool as heck. It does. Uh, and and then uh, you got Thandie Wayne Newton and God's Country, this neo western. I hadn't just... seen the trailer for that until uh, Three Thousand Years of Me War either. last night. I was yeah. like, holy cow, this looks incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, being a fan of uh, local band Chat Pile, when the title God's Country came up, I, I was Leo in uh, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, pointing at the screen. So <laughs> I, I was like, ah, hey, hey. That's My amazing. friend made an album called that. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, no, I think both of those movies uh, releasing September 16th look really solid. Uh, hopefully they they get a little business going because uh, it's going to be a bleak few months for the movies. And uh, I, gee, I sure would like to continue to publicly see films exhibited. Uh, right. <laughs> I, I really hope uh, this is not a bad enough two months to just kill exhibition entirely. I, I mean, Regal... Seems to think it is. Yeah. You know, unfortunately. Um, well, what, just speaking of September releases, I will mm. say we can't we can't not mention Hocus Pocus 2. Um, I forgot. I mean, it's, I, I, I kind of wish I is that going to straight, theaters? I, no, no. Straight which is another one of those ones where I'm like, guys, this has a I mean, it has a cult following. Well, love it or not. You know, I mean, like it is Halloween. So, I mean, I feel like that would it would make money in theaters if they had the balls to do it. But See, see Lamont, here's the thing. Uh and Bod Chapik, or whatever he says last name, uh, CEO of Disney, he has to regularly make sacrifices to the Wall Street slash streaming gods so that the uh, he can keep that number moving, that that line moving up and to the right. right. Uh, and I, much like much the Pixar films that also should have had a theatrical release, this seems like another uh, yeah. one of those sacrifices. And it's the sequel that was never going to happen. Like it was like they've been talking about it, baiting it for a year, for decades, and it's finally happening. And it actually has the the cast. It's not a straight to it's not a made for TV movie. So. You know, there has to rise a little bit of curiosity for the nostalgic '90s babies. So, 
You know what's hilarious about that? That first movie actually was a flop at the box office. It was. No, Critic, oh, yeah. Critics hated it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Disney Channel, man. Save that movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, separate conversation. Um, real quick. Uh, yeah, Glass Onion in terms of blockbuster, quote unquote. I love Ryan Johnson. I've loved him since I saw Brick. Um, and of course, I loved The Last Jedi. But I I mean, even the first um, Knives Out I thought was incredible. It was super fun. Uh, I, just seeing him do more of those I'm happy. Like honestly, the fa- the fact that he's probably not going to make it in the Star Wars, unfortunately, is a little bit of a bummer. But the the upside is he's making more Knives Out movies, and I think these are unique. They're special, and frankly, I don't even know if we would get bodies, bodies, bodies per se if it weren't for Knives Out being such a massive runaway mm. hit. Sure. Um, certainly helped. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, very excited to see Glass Onion and what he does with, with that film, and and. Um, otherwise I want to give a quick shout out to a movie coming out in October, the Banshees of in, in Insurin. I'm sorry. I said that wrong, I think but it's insurance. Yeah. Insurance. Yeah. Uh, this is the latest movie from Mark McDonough, yeah. who of course did, uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, seven psychopaths and my, my personal favorite in Bruges. Also uh, my favorite. Yeah. And he's bringing the cast back. Cause we, we, we yeah. got Colin Farrell back. Uh, we got Brendan Gleeson back and we're throwing in Barry Keegan because why not? Because it's a <laughs> deeply Irish movie. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to say, I, anytime Martin McDonough shows up, I'm not saying he's always hitting home runs, but I always find myself having a great time and talking about the movie, for, usually for months after. I'm pretty hyped for this one. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. And I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. <laughs> I get flack for this. I'm not saying it's my most anticipated by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, there is an Avatar sequel coming out. <laughs> and I did really love the experience of seeing the first one in the theater. I don't know. I just am, it's more curious if this new one can create something like that again. And James Cameron, by my book, personally, I wouldn't say everyone agrees with this. I don't think he's made a bad movie yet. So, you know, I'm not it's saying not right bad. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He hasn't. He, Caleb, 13 years ago, I bet against Jimmy. I'm <laughs> betting against him this time. And I'll probably ro- be, probably be wrong again. Hey, man, I, I love to bet against Jim. Everyone loves to. They did the same thing with Titanic. They're like, Titanic's way over budget. It's taking too long to make. There's no way anyone wants to see a movie about a sinking ship. And yet, there it was. Second highest gross movie of all time. (laughs) So, So, uh, well, in speaking of Avatar, you know, I feel like we've kind of, uh, the culture is kind of uh, um, nickel-backed, you know, Avatar. Because I feel like when it came out, you couldn't hear anybody say anything bad about it. And now, you know, years later, it's aged poorly. It's definitely taking things from different. But I agree with you. The young, youthful person that saw that movie in IMAX 3D was blown away by at least the spectacle of it. But that has, for me, worn off as the years have gone on and I've rewatched it at home. But that doesn't mean that I'm not a little curious to see what this multi-year film in the making sequel of the Avatar. I don't know why well, we need fought four more of these movies, but we'll, well, we'll see. Well, only two the of them are guaranteed right now. To. <laughs> It'll make the experience at the theme park that much richer because there'll be more rides to go and watch and experience the movie from. <laughs> You know, that, that's another podcast as well, and I'm sure we will talk about it. Uh, Laurent, you and I might even do a revisit of the first one because it is getting re-released in September, yeah. For re- I guess, because they need to beat the Avengers Endgame at the box office um, <laughs> for top of all time. But I, I, I'm excited. I am curious to revisit the first one. I know the story is not going to hold up, but the, the, the filmmaking, I'm sure, is great. But here's the thing. You bring it up, though, Laurent. Nickelback is a great analogy, but here's the thing. is like everyone talks about how no one – like there's no avatar has no significance, but, but I feel like for at least the last eight or nine years, 
I've been like, the fact that you're talking about that it has no impact <laughs> tells me it has had an impact. And the fact that it has continuously occurred as these sequels have been pushed and pushed and pushed. And people are like, no one wants to see that. No one wants to see that. No one wants to see that. But you're still talking about it. So clearly you're at least a little curious. And if it makes half of the box office of the first one, it's still a runaway hit. So yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, well, we are out of time. Guys, this has been so much fun. Thanks so much for uh, hopping on and talk about the movies you saw in August. Uh, just really quickly, I want to go around the table to let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and your work. Dalton Stewart, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going strong for 10 years at the Good Trash Genre Cast. Uh, we're celebrating our, our 10-year anniversary right now with a marathon of films that doesn't make sense we, that we haven't covered them yet. Things like uh, John Carpenter's Escape from New York, um, our, one of our co-hosts, Dustin's favorite films, Ahazard Balthazar. Uh, so, so some, some uh, Smokey and the Bandit, another one that doesn't make sense that we haven't covered. Uh, so that's what we're working on right now. But uh, just a couple months ago, we got done uh, with a uh, top 100 countdown. We uh, did a five-part uh, roundtable uh, covering our favorite 100 films. And uh, that was a ton of fun. So if, if you haven't listened to the show before, that's a good place to check it out. Uh, Podbean.com, uh, Good Trash Genre Cast. Uh, we're on Apple, Stitcher. We're not on Spotify. Um, I, I can't pretend it's for like a moral reason. It'd be cool if I could uh but we've just never been on spotify <laughs> so there, there was no moral reason to get off it just has never happened but uh, yeah good trash honor cast go check us out we're on twitter at good trash media um and if you want to follow me i can't imagine why you'd want to do that but i'm uh, <laughs> at doll underscore stew over on twitter all right all right thanks so much and again congratulations on 10 years that is thank you no small feat that is impressive. most podcasts don't make it past like episode three they like yep. get burned out or realize ah crap this is actually real work to keep it up you know um, Charles Elmore, where can people keep up with you and your work online? Um, uh, I guess I'm only on two places, really. I'm on Twitter at, at 918 underscore Charles, and um, I'm on Instagram at Chaz Elmore underscore DOP. Um, it's a lot of boring pictures of the sunset and sunrises, but occasionally on my Instagram stories is where I will post quick takes on movies I see, and this is about as close as you'll get to a review in the moment from me online at the moment, but yeah, Chaz Elmore underscore DOP, but that's it. I, I beg to differ. I actually really like your follow your Instagram. I think it's a quality follow. So listeners, I, I do uh, suggest if you're on Instagram to follow, follow Charles, uh, Laron Chapman, how about you? Uh, I can't compete with Dalton with uh, 10 years, but I've been going 14 years strong on the old book of faces. So you can follow me <laughs> on our old Facebook under my name, Laron Chapman. If you want to read my reviews, um, you can follow me on Letterbox at uh, black underscore Senna underscore man. All right. And uh, of course, you can find everything we do here at the Cinematropolis and on the Cinematic Schematic at the Cinematropolis.com or also on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis or on Twitter um, at the Cinematrop. And me personally, I'm tweeting about uh, movies and television shows and sometimes video games whenever I have time to play those um, at C Masters Talk. That's the letter C Masters Talk. Right now, as I alluded to earlier, uh, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones spinoff, successor series, prequel, whatever you want to call it, has been occupying a lot of my time. We just re released, um, we were doing weekly recaps again. Uh, there was a very genuine, honest question about whether we were going to come back. 
uh, this year, um, you know, after wrapping up Game of Thrones. And we're going to give it a shot this season. If it's good, we'll probably keep it going. If it sucks, we're probably going to be done forever. <laughs> Regardless, you should head on over and follow me. Uh, it's the cast uh, Beyond the Wall is the name of the podcast. If you want to hear anything I have to say about um, Game of Thrones, or sorry, House of the Dragon in this case, uh, Laron Chapman, you are our guest on the pilot episode. So if you've watched the first episode, you can go hear me and Laron, my uh, other co-host, Daniel Stoll, talking about that first episode. And we've got a number of other ge- uh, exciting guests lined up. And, and the weeks ahead. Um, so that is, again, the podcast is called The Cast Beyond the Wall. We also publish that on the Good Trash website. That's Good true. Trash website uh, as Good well. GoodTrashMedia.com. I didn't even think to plug my letterbox, by the way, Laurent. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm just Dalton Stewart. Oh, I'm Stewart. rooting you. I'm yeah, rooting you. I, I follow, we're, we follow each other. Yeah, I'm Dalton Stewart over on Letterboxd. Uh, yeah. And I'm also C-Master you, Talk on Letterboxd. You're C-Master Talk on yes. Letterboxd? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Check it out there. That is a great place to follow and keep up with your, mo- your friends on movies. And I just wish everyone was using it, frankly. I do, too. Yeah. But yeah honestly, yeah, I, the more people I can convince to hop on the Letterboxd train, the, the happier I'll be. Yeah. yeah. It just makes life easier as a movie watcher. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I, I remember what I saw two movies ago. But pretty much everything before then, I'm like, oh, wait, what, what was it I saw like two weeks ago? Yeah, it's great. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. And uh, we'll catch you again next time. Until then, have a happy Labor Day and we'll talk soon.